warm Chicago day. Um, started off a little bit cooler, and that is why I'm wearing a sweater. Um, in case you're wondering, <laughs> you're like, that dude's going to die up there. That's cool. Maybe. <laughs> but anyway, we're good. We believe in resurrection. So here we go. We are, um, we are going through a series um, after Easter um, called Chicago Fire, the Spirit-Led Church in the City. And what we try to do is every uh, Easter or every post-Easter season leading up to Pentecost Sunday, even ha- having a period of time where we're talking about post-Jesus resurrection, what the church of Jesus Christ was to look like in the cities in which they lived, the cities in which they found themselves. How are we to, as a people of the resurrection, to live for Jesus and as a body through Jesus for his glory and his purposes. And so over the past several years, we've been going through on this series in the book of Acts, and we're picking this up um, today. Um, Last week, we talked about Jesus and a a church of eternal friendships. Um, And today, we're talking a little bit more about Paul and his departure from Corinth, um, but what he learned in the process as he was learning to live for God. And today what we're going to do is we're going to talk about Jesus and a church submitted to his will. Okay, Jesus and a church that's actually submitted to his will. The reason why we're talking about this is because we've all got plans, we've all got hopes, we've all got dreams, we've all got ambitions. Anybody in here with those? Okay, Hopes, dreams, plans, ambitions. And the thing about it is, is that somewhere along the road, as we have these hopes, dreams, plans, and ambitions, we're trying to follow God in the midst of it. And it's not just plans, hopes, dreams, and ambitions that we have for our own individual life. It's hopes, plans, dreams, and ambitions that we have for our families. It's hopes, plans, dreams, and ambitions that we have for our friendship group or our our career or even the city in which we live, right? But in the midst of all of these different things, we all know that there is our hopes, plans, dreams, and ambitions, and then there are the bumps in the road that we face along the way to getting there, right? Anybody have experienced those before? Bumps in the road on the way to those hopes, plans, dreams, and ambitions. And so what we've got to figure out is how to walk with God and how to discern the difference in the midst of those pursuits, how we discern our will versus God's will, and how we submit to God's will ultimately to fulfill his vision for our lives and not just our own. Because how many people know there can often be a difference? There can often be a difference between the two. And what we're trying to do is find out how Paul chose to walk through this in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible today, let's look at Acts chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 18. This is where Paul was uh, finishing his ministry, his initial ministry in the city of Corinth. And he's learning to actually continue his apostolic ministry, going through the cities of the pagan world at the time, preaching the gospel, planting churches, seeing people come to Jesus, but all while submitted to God's will. Okay, let's read together. It said, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him... Priscilla and Aquila. And obviously we know that Priscilla and Aquila were those friends that he made, uh, as we were talking about last week, those friends of eternal significance, those friends of eternal relationship unto the purposes of God. They were traveling companions with him. And at Sancria, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus And Ephesus, if you're familiar with the New Testament, is one of the cities that Paul was writing to whenever he wrote the letter to the Ephesians. This is the context of this, that he came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue 
and reasoned with the Jews. He went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he, Caesarea sorry, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Persia, strengthening all the disciples. So what we see is that Paul's missionary journey continues. And Paul had been set on course by the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 13. If you're reading your book of Acts, you see that it's a chronology of the life of the early church. And after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, we saw that the church of Jesus Christ was Holy Spirit-empowered with boldness, signs, wonders, and miracles to spread the kingdom of God and spread the gospel of God all throughout the known world. Now, Paul, though he was once an opponent of Jesus and the church, he actually became one of its greatest proponents, right? He met Jesus on his road to Damascus. Jesus met him. He arrested him. And even though he once used to be a persecutor of the church, dragging off Christians to be imprisoned and then ultimately to be put to death, what we see is that Paul was actually converted in that place. Hard hearts can be converted. Hard hearts can be turned. Hard hearts can be won by the living God, and he was actually made to be, by the Spirit of God, one of the greatest preachers of the gospel that history has known. And so that's good news for all of us, first of all, is it not? It doesn't matter if we have family members, friends, co-workers, neighbors who seem hard-hearted and persecutors of even the name of Jesus at this time. Jesus is stronger, Jesus is greater, and Jesus is able to get a hold of even the hard-hearted even those who aren't interested in him at the time. So if you're surrounded by a crew of people right now who seem to to have Jesus as the last thing on their mind, good news for you. Good news for you. God's in the business of reaching those people. God's in the business of turning those people to himself. But what we see is that after a time of training, after a time of going deep into the word of God and studying the commands of God and the life of God, we see that Paul set on course out of Antioch in Acts chapter 13 after a period of fasting, prayer, and worship where he was one of the teachers in the city called Antioch. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work that I've called them to. So immediately they have this new mission, right? They have this new mission to preach the gospel to the known world, to preach the gospel where Jesus is not known. And they started in Antioch, but then they started on their trek, on their first missionary journey, going throughout these different cities and ended up in Corinth. So he already knew the will of God. He already knew the mission of God, but then he still had to know, I have to be submitted to God. Submitted to God. Because how many people know when you get a word like Paul and Barnabas did in Acts chapter 13 saying, set apart for me, Barnabas and Paul, for the work that I've called them to, you feel like you're on top of the, like you're on the heights, right? You're flying on cloud nine. God has singled me out. He singled me out with a word. He singled me, and not just a word, he's spoken in my heart. 
He's spoken to me in the midst of all the church, and all the church is getting behind me, saying, yeah, rah, rah. Rah, rah, Paul and Barnabas. Rah, rah for this kingdom vision and this kingdom plan that God's put upon your heart. And all of a sudden, you believe that you have this picture in your mind of what it's going to be like. Has anybody ever had a plan or a vision from God knowing that God's spoken to you, feeling a sense of calling per se, whether it be to ministry or business or family life, having this picture in your mind of if God's spoken, this is what it's going to be like. And then all of a sudden you start running. And then it ends up a little bit different <laughs> than you expected it to be. Just a little bit. Not, not a big, but just a little bit. Right? Just a little bit different than you expected it to be. And Paul often ran into that, right? You would have thought, I'm the man who's anointed and appointed to go and preach this word wherever it's not known. But Paul continually ran into persecution. He continually ran into opposition. He continually ran into stonings, beatings, shipwrecks, all while believing that God had appointed him according to his will to accomplish that mission. And if he did not have it firmly established in his heart that the difficulties or the trials that I'm going through, even though it looks different than I thought it would, does not mean that I'm not in the will of God, he would have gotten off course. He had to have firmly established in his heart, I'm submitted to the will of God even as I know the will of God. It doesn't look like I expected to, but I'm going to do it anyway. And we're going to talk about that today in these two parts. How do you know the will of God and how do you submit to it? First of all, we've got to ask the question, how did Paul know the will of God? We know that Paul knew the will of God because he was a Pharisee. He was a student of the word of God. Before you can ever expect to be led by the spirit of God, you have got to be grounded in the word of God. How many people can say amen to that? It does not matter who you think you are or who God, you think God is. Unless it's actually in agreement with the written word of God, then you can clearly and very easily go astray. The boundaries, how many people like bowling in here? Okay, how many people would admit that you're not good at bowling in here? Okay, he's sort of like, I like it, but I'm not so good, right? And sort of like, if you get a strike, you're jumping across lanes, you know, and people are like, get out of my lane, man. But you're like, I've accomplished something. But here's the thing about it. How many people would be honest with me? You have ever used bumpers before? Okay, yeah, we all, okay, we all have, and the rest of you who are like, you haven't been bowling yet, okay? It's sort of like you use bumpers, why? Because when you're trying to get down the lane and get into the strike zone, you need a little help at first, right? And the good news is that the Word of God actually gives us those bumpers. If I'm trying to go and contextualize what the will of God is for my life, the first thing that I need are boundaries, the first thing that I need is a picture of what it's already looked like in other people's lives because it's setting a precedent for me. And I know that there's an unchanging nature of God's will, right? What he's been doing since 2,000 years ago after Jesus' and, um, death, burial, and resurrection, guess what? He's doing in 2019. Until Jesus makes his return, he's going to be doing the same thing. 
preaching the good news, seeing disciples made, and seeing his kingdom advance through the nations of the earth. It does not change. And the word of God is what Paul was reading, giving him an understanding that if I'm going to be in the will of God, I've got to be found in this word. But then, as I said, number two, what he had was during a period of fasting, prayer, and worship with the church, not independently, mind you, because that's what we do in our Western culture, right? We try to find our call, our destiny, our ambition independently, And it's all about my call, my mission, my anointing, right? But the Bible says that he found his call within the constructs of the church. And while he was with the church, fasting, praying, and worshiping, then the Holy Spirit spoke to him. He had the foundation of the word. He had the Spirit speaking in the collective congregation. And then number three, he had the confirmation when the Holy Spirit spoke of Christ-ordained Confirmation through God-given and vetted counsel. God-given and vetted counsel. He wasn't just going off with he and Barnabas saying, hey, it's just you and me, baby, let's go. We're going to find out the will of God and just do it. Let's do this. Barnabas would have looked at him. He was a little bit older in the Lord, a little bit more mature in the Lord. He'd be like, Paul, sit on down, brother. You need to learn the ways of the Lord if you're going to actually walk in the will of the Lord. The ways of God are just as important as his will. And the only way you're going to know that is by studying his word, being in the presence of his people so the Holy Spirit can speak, and then getting it confirmed by that God-ordained and vetted counsel in your life. That's how Paul knew it. There was a man named Charles Swindoll. How many people have heard of Charles Swindoll before? Okay, many of you have read his books before. He actually said this, your call will become clear as your mind is transformed by the reading of Scripture and the internal work of God's Spirit. The Lord never hides his will from us. How many people know that God wants you to know his will more than you want to know it? See, when I started praying a long time ago, I used to like, try to hear the voice of God, and I, I used to go to God like this. I used to be like, okay, God, speak. <laughs> speak! <laughs> and I'd strain, as if I just strained, and then all of a sudden I would hear the thunder from heaven. But you know what I did hear? I heard God say to me, and I'm paraphrasing now, he said this, Roland, I'm much more able to make myself heard than you are able to hear me. And I was like, ooh, okay, I can open my eyes. (laughs) Why? Because the onus is on him. He wants his will known a whole lot more than I want to know it. And if we put ourselves in a position saying, not my will, but your will be done, you better believe he's going to make it clear to you. Charles Swindoll went on to say this, in time, as you obey the call first to follow, your destiny will unfold before you. The difficulty will lie in keeping other concerns from diverting your attention. It's not that God doesn't make his will known. It's that we have distractions that come to knock us off course. Is that not the truth? You might have felt a call from God to do something, to accomplish something for kingdom purposes, but it's the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things that come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. But what's God's desire? That you would reap 30, 60, and 100 times of the word that was sown in you. That's God's desire for you. We see this in Proverbs. 
the Proverbs actually says this in Proverbs chapter 16, verses 1, 3, and 9. 1, 3, and 9. We see this, that whenever we're trying to find out the will of God, we often find it out by, number one, putting the word in us. Number two, actually getting um, the Holy Spirit's direction, getting confirmation from those around us. But what does that lead to? It leads to making plans. It leads to making plans. Do you know that it's okay for Holy Spirit-guided people to make some plans? <laughs> that you don't have to be so spiritually led that you have no direction in life? <laughs> you, hello? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. It's, all, it's like people go for one, like one extent or the other, right? They're either like, I'm all planning, and I don't allow God to speak or break in at all. So it's like God's trying to speak. I'm like, I got my plan. I got my, I've got my 20 years, right? My 20-year step-by-step plan for my life. Um, thank you, God, but no thank you. Just bless what I've already decided to do. Or they're so spiritual that they're like, oh, no, it's just day by day. And wherever the wind blows, that's where God's taking me. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it's like, what in the world? Is that God? The answer is no. He says he, the spirit blows like a wind, but he's the rock. And a rock knows exactly where it lies and where it's going, right? He's a sure foundation. And whenever the Spirit's blowing and if we don't understand it, guess who does know and understand it? God, because he had a plan. And so Proverbs 16, 1, 3, and 9 says it this way. If we want to know the plan, get in this place of um, <clears throat> his word, get in this place of worship, get in this place of godly counsel, and then make some plans. He says, verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man. But the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. Verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So here we go. If I want to know the will of the Lord, there are three verses that help me out here that help me talk about it, right? When I set myself up like Paul did, living the way that he did, there are three things that it talks about I have a responsibility to do. In verse 1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the um, um, tongue comes from the Lord. That means the Lord's responsibility is when I plan to give me a yes or a no. To say, yes, that's me. No, it's not me. Right? Has anybody ever gotten a no from the Lord before? We all want yeses, but anybody ever gotten a no before? I remember before I even went into ministry, I was radically saved on the college campus, right? I was preaching my heart out. You know what I mean? To anything that would move. Yes, animals too. But here's the thing. I was like, listen, whoever would listen, I would preach. And then the, my friends would talk about missions and going on missions. And I was like, I'm bad about it, baby. Let's go to the nations. And all my friends would take these summer mission trips. And I'd be like, Lord, let me go. And I'd pray. And I felt like he said, No. I was like, wait, hold on now. <laughs> hold on now. I know, in my pride, I was like, I know I'm a better Christian than all those people going. <laughs> That's what I say to myself. Why did they get to go? And I just got what I felt like I got to know. And summer after summer, I got to know. <laughs> but what I did summer after summer is I stayed back on our college campus. And on our college campus, you know what? When our campus ministers were gone, they turned the responsibility of the campus ministry over to me. 
And so while everybody else was gallivanting the world, I was learning to lead the campus ministry so that when I graduated, guess what God called me to? Campus ministry. And so I was not walking out there green, but I had learned over those years of getting the no's how to actually lead in the place he wanted me. I didn't like it, but it was his direction in his providence leading me to what he ultimately had for me to accomplish his will. Don't be scared of a no. The reply of the tongue comes from the Lord. He says it's also his responsibility to establish what I commit to him. Good news, right? How many people don't want to waste your time but actually want God's back, backing you up whenever you're doing a work by faith? Okay, that's his responsibility. And then it also says it's his responsibility to establish your steps, meaning he's the one who sets in place the next steps for you, right? All three different things that the Lord's responsible for. You know what we're responsible for? Verse one, verse three, and verse nine, make plans. Make plans. Make plans. But what that does not mean is that we get to <laughs> define what it's going to look like whenever those plans are made. It's, it begins to bring up in our hearts the issue of control versus confidence or trust in the Lord as we make these plans, right? Because Paul and his traveling companions, they were making plans to do what they knew God said to do. They were making plans, but it looked different than they thought it would. So what that brings up in our hearts is, do I trust the Lord or am I bound by a need to control my life? To be the one in the driver's seat, to the, be the one who has all the answers or I'm not going to do it. Anybody ever felt that way before? I'm not going to step out. Anybody deal with that, um, that weight of perfectionism? Sort of like I won't even step out until I know it's every T is crossed and every I is dotted. It leads to the paralysis of perfectionism. What God's saying is, you need to not only know my will, but learn to submit to it. Charles Swindoll actually said this in actually a book where, that he wrote called Moses, a man of selfless dedication. He says, if you aren't vigilant, if you aren't daily humbling yourself before him, seeking his face, discerning his timing, operating under the Spirit's control, you may push and shove and force your way prematurely into that place where God wanted you, but you will not have arrived in his own time. If you get this in your mind, this is who I'm supposed to be, this is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to make it happen myself. Anybody ever been there before? It's going to be, it's up to me. <laughs> then you could be just like Moses. Anybody remember Moses? Called and anointed and appointed by God, right? To do what? Go on, church, you, you, you've seen the prince of Egypt. <laughs> okay, <laughs> to do what? Deliver the Israelites out of Egypt, right? But when he started to feel that stirring and started to feel that call, what did he immediately do? He went and he saw his Hebraic brothers and sisters being mistreated, right? And in the midst of that mistreatment, he said, I got a call. I've got to answer that call. And what did he do? He killed his oppressor. 
He killed this people's oppressor. And then he was like, yeah, I got this party started. Then he went back to his fellow Jewish people. He's like, let's go, guys. God's anointed appointed me. And you know what they responded to him? Who made you leader over us? Who made you leader over us? You going to kill us like you did that other guy? And Moses was like, whoops. I guess I started the wrong way. <laughs> and so the, for the next 40 years, yes, 40, our time is not God's time. For the next 40 years, he went on the backside of the desert learning to shepherd sheep. And when he was learning to shepherd sheep on the backside of the desert, he was learning skills that would inevitably send him back to Egypt with signs, wonders, and miracles. God has appointed time. And then when he led the Israelites out, he used those same skills that he used on the sheep, the dumb sheep, on the Israelites who were coming out of their bondage. But it had nothing to do with what he thought it would look like because he ran ahead of time doing it in his own strength. The question is, whose strength are you pursuing these ambitions in now? Is it in your time? Is it in your strength? Is it in your call? Is it an issue of your trust in God or is it a matter of you trying to control your life? Are you submitted to God's will? Charles went on to say this, God doesn't work on our timetable. He has a plan that he will execute perfectly and for the highest, greatest good of all, and for his ultimate glory. But we've got to understand and distinguish between God's plans and our own. If we're going to be submitted to God's will, as Paul said, when he was going out into the ministry, the, his missionary journeys, we've got to discern it according to these sort of categories. When I'm trying to distinguish God's plans versus my own, I've got to ask a question of timing. Is it the right time to do what I want to do? Is it the right time to do what I want to do, right? Ecclesiastes says this, this before I came to Chicago, I love Chicago. I love the people of Chicago. Aren't you all glad to be in Chicago together? Okay, worshiping the Lord. Listen, this is great. But you know, it took me 11 years to get here after I got a word from the Lord. After I got a word from the Lord. After I got a word from the Lord. 11 years. And you know what became the scripture that I felt like every time I opened my Bible, it's like I couldn't get away from it. It was like Ecclesiastes where he says, there is a proper time and procedure, proper time and procedure for every matter under heaven, though a man's misery may weigh heavily upon him. There's a proper time and procedure for every matter under heaven, though a man's misery may weigh heavily upon him. You know what God's not concerned about all the time? My temporary happiness. <laughs> that's right God's not always concerned with your temporary happiness either God's more concerned about the process and procedure of what he's building in you and building you into so that when he calls you to stand in that place you'll be able to not buckle under it but actually lead with his grace and anointing whether it be in your ministry, your family, your business. Some of you have been waiting a long time for some of these things, and God's like, listen, your misery may be waiting, weighing heavily upon you, but God's trying to form something in you. It's not just about timing. It's also about manner. 
We talked about the ways of the Lord. It's also about the results. The results. The results. The results. How many people would call the prophets of the Old Testament failures? Right, no one would think that, right? But how many people know that in their time, they probably would have been perceived as failures? When God had appointed Ezekiel to go and prophesy in Tel Aviv, he actually said, listen, I'm going to make your forehead like flint, Ezekiel, and I want you to go and prophesy to the people there who don't know me, but I'm telling you in advance, they will not listen to you. But you go anyway. Why? Because I said to. Because I said to. And obedience is the measure of success. Obedience to God and his word is the measure of success, not the things that are going on externally around you. The results are in God's hands, in your family, in your career, in your relationships. The results are in his hands. Your job is obedience, which is the mark of faith. Which is the mark of faith? Paul, when he was talking to the Roman church, he said, God's appointed me an apostle to call people from all amongst all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. If you want to know what faith looks like, it looks like obedience to his word. Obedience to his word. And he'll take care of the results. The Bible also says that when it's talking about even spiritual gifts, that we prophesy, but you know what? We know in part and we prophesy in part. So it doesn't matter what you think you have a picture of right now, it's not the whole picture. Doesn't matter what somebody has come and encouraged you with right now, it's not the whole picture. And you better believe some of that picture God's withholding from you because if he told you the whole picture, you probably wouldn't step out in faith to do it. And he gives us what we can handle. But Elizabeth Elliot said following Christ looks like this. Anybody familiar with Elizabeth Elliot, Jim Elliot's wife? Went through a lot. How many people know that her, her walk with God, her destiny, didn't actually look like she probably would have expected? Woo, going to this. Unreached people groups. Woo, husband, he's on the front lines. Husband, he's dead. And she said this, to be a follower of the crucified means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross. And the cross always entails loss. <laughs> Yay! Yay! This is Bible, people. <laughs> I know. You know I tickle my, tickle my ears, Rylan. Make me feel good, Rylan. <laughs> well, the good part is, is that there's a resurrection after the loss. We are people of the resurrection. We don't stay down because of Jesus. We get up. But don't ever think that you're going to fulfill the call of God without going through the cross. If we can embrace that, it will become a joy, even in the midst of the trial, 
even in the midst of the pain. Think about Joseph. We'll do a whole series on Joseph at another time. Joseph, who was a man who got a dream at 17 years old. Oh, all my family and friends are going to bow down before me. And they're like, oh, really? We'll see how that goes. <laughs> Sold him into slavery. Tried to be a righteous man there. Got thrown into prison. Started interpreting some dreams by the hand of God. People prom- made him promises about his elevation. Got forgotten about for another two years <laughs> in the prison until finally, 13 years later, at the age of 30, he ended up in Pharaoh's court as Pharaoh's right-hand man. So God was faithful to his word. The question was whether Joseph was going to be faithful to him along the way. When things looked different than he thought it would. All those bumps in the road didn't have anything to do with the will of God or God changing his mind about anything. It had to do with whether or not Joseph would submit to God's will. Was that the will of God? Well, that's what he said in Genesis chapter 50. He said, what the enemy meant for harm, God meant for good and for the saving of many lives. You know what? I don't, I don't mind that I had to go through all of that now because you know what? In the midst of this worldwide famine, I was able to be put in a place where it actually ended up saving many lives, a whole kingdom because of the trials that I had to go through that actually looked a whole lot different than I thought it would when I started my trek, when I was getting those dreams. Talk about dreams. <laughs> what comes after them, right? Do these words sound familiar? Disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment. Threw down some more words. <clears throat> Frustration, dissatisfaction, anger, lack of contentment. Anybody ever felt any of those before? Anybody? I'll admit to you, I have. <laughs> The truth of the matter is, is that <clears throat> these are results when we project our plans onto God's. These feelings are the result of what's going on in our soul when we project our plans onto God's. Do you understand what I mean by that? I'm going to be frustrated. I'm going to be discontent. I'm going to be uh, disillusioned whenever... I don't hit the mark that I had in my own mind. But if, like Paul said, I'm submitted to God's will, that means that I can actually find joy and fruitfulness in the midst of any season. Why? Because it's ultimately His will that I'm after. Not in the moment, but in the end, right? This is something we've got to get in us foundationally. Submitting to His will. Charles Swindoll actually said this. He said, when the, when the Lord, I'm sorry, you and I can become so, sorry, listen to this. Golly, this is a good one. He said, you and I can become so dedicated to the will of God, we can be so driven by a false sense of purpose that we might inadvertently take matters into our own hands and leave God completely out of the loop. Completely out of the loop because we have our own plans being projected onto God's. But when we're in a place of submission, we have fruitfulness, joy, and longevity as the result 
of our faith-filled plans, trusting God and submitting to his will. That's why he said, when the Lord makes it clear you're to follow him in this new direction, you can focus fully on him and refuse to be distracted by comparisons to others. You can be able to be following him without being distracted by comparisons to others. When you're submitted to the will of God, you know what? I care about what people are doing on my right or left, how they're advancing in their career, their academics, their family life, or things like that, but I know my walk is not their walk. He's got a race marked out for me that's different than what he's got marked out for them. And many times the discouragement comes when we're making comparisons and saying, look at where that friend is. Look at where that family member is. I should have been here by now. I should have been doing this by now. Anybody ever feel that way before? I should have, would have, could have. And all of those things come up when we don't have a heart that's saying, Lord, I'm submitted to your will. Like Paul said to the Ephesians, I will come back if the Lord wills. What did that mean? I have a holy ambition to come back and preach the good news to you, to stay with you, to teach, to preach, to build. But if the Lord wills, I'll come back. I cannot project onto these plans what I desire. I've got to keep in step with him because ultimately I'm his and I'm for his glory. I know many of you have seen Endgame, and I will, don't curse me right now. I know I'm not giving any spoilers. I'll reference a different Disney movie, okay? Snow White. <laughs> That's right. They're, they're pretty similar. But the thing is, is that <laughs> Snow White, you got to remember the song, right? With the dwarfs, whistle while you work. Anybody ever sing that at work? Okay, so it's sort of like, you know what we need to do? We need to be fruitful while we wait. So many people think, until I get to this place I have in my mind, I'm not going to dig in and be fruitful in the place where I actually am. But that's not what Paul did. Paul did the opposite. Going back to verse 22 and verse 23 of Acts chapter 18, it said, when he had landed at Caesarea... He went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch, the place of his sending. After speak, um, spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Gal uh, Galatia and Persia, strengthening all the disciples. What does that mean? That means that he had an ambition to go to places beyond them. He'd already been to those places. He could have said to himself, been there, done that. Been there, done that. All that amounts to is a bunch of faithfulness. Anybody ever <laughs> have like this adventure chip in you? And you're like, I just want the new thing. Give me candy, candy, candy. <laughs> right? It's like the new thing. Always give me the new thing. Tickle my fancy. And he's like, listen, what you need is faithfulness. And what Paul did is he was faithful to go back around and strengthen to the disciples in the places he'd been. He was fruitful while he was waiting to get to the will of God, going to the places he had not been. And some of you act like you're just passing through all the time and you're so wander, like wanderlust driven that you're never building anything with your life. Not understanding that God builds by what you do today. 
We tell young people all the time, I used to minister to um, high school students all the time. It's like, don't think that what you're doing now does not matter. What you're doing today will define what happens to you the rest of your life. Isn't that true? Same with the people of God. Right now matters. Right now matters. So landing this plane, if we're submitted to the will of God, the question is, how do we make sure not to miss the will of God? Well, we already told you about the word, the being in the place in the house of worship, committing yourselves to the things of God, but how do we not miss it? I want to focus on the one that we're most likely to avoid, which is submitting to counsel while you're pursuing his will. See, if I was an older man, I would have referenced a Marlboro man. Anybody remember the Marlboro man? The dude who was always the cowboy on his horse, smoking. I'm frontier man. I do it myself, I, my own way, by my own way. I'm an independent man, right? Smoking's not popular now. That's fine. <laughs> okay. But the same principle applies. The question is, who will you let into the decision-making part of your world to be submitted to the will of God? That's a tough one, is it not? Who will you allow into the decision-making part of your world to be submitted to the will of God? Remember, Paul wasn't just going about like a cowboy doing his own thing when he wanted to, how he wanted to, whenever he wanted to, right? He said, if it's the Lord's will, I'll return. He went back to that same Antioch that he'd been sent from who had confirmed the call in the first place. Make sense? Proverbs 24, 5 and 6 says it this way. It says, a wise man is full of strength. Anybody want to be wise in here? He says, a wise man is full of strength and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance, you can wage war. And in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Isn't that what we want to jump forward to, right? We just want to jump forward to the last part. Give me the victory. Start quoting all things. Victory, victory. I proclaim victory. Victory in the name of Jesus. Anybody heard that before? That's fine. You're too young. So here's the thing. He's sort of like, listen, he says victory. That's what we want, right? But where's the victory found? In the abundance of counselors, which means before I came here and uprooted my family of six and said, we're going to nothing. Good news, guys. We're going to nothing in the city of Chicago. They're like, who do you know there? Joseph. That's all we knew. <laughs> Joseph. And there's one other dude, George, who you not have read. Might, some of you remember, but many of you have never heard before. Right, Em? You better believe I had to have some counselors. They're like, Rollin, how are you going to feed your family? I don't know but we're going to preach. 
and God's going to save souls. And you better believe I was like, is that right? (laughs) (laughs) To some counselors who would actually be able to either affirm or deny that which I was feeling as a calling on my heart. Let me tell you why. Because I told you it took 11 years to get here. Guess when I was ready to come? Year one. And I kept having older men say to me, Rollin, I have a gas pedal for most everybody else. This is what my pastor told me. But for you, I have this special break. <laughs> I have a special break. So like the like student drivers, right? You think you're driving somewhere and they're still pumping the brakes. I was like, why am I getting anywhere? <laughs> right? That's what my pastor always said to me. He's like, Rollin, you're going to hurt somebody. And you know what? He was right. He was right. Even a spirit, not knowing even the challenges in our family that we would have faced. If I were a different man and had come too early, best, you best better believe I would have struggled in my family. If I'd come too early, you best better believe I wouldn't have known how to treat people, right? Right? God had to work something in me prior to bringing me to where he wanted me to be. Same with you. And it's the counsel and who you allow in your life that will help either propel you or at times restrain you to make sure there's a proper time and procedure being worked out in your life. Does it make sense? The question is, who are you allowing, young or old, who are you allowing in your life to be that shaping influence for you? If you don't have it, the Bible says, you're waging war and you're not assured of victory. Paul eventually ended up back in Ephesus where he would minister for almost three years. That's what we'll get to, Acts 19, right? And through his ministry, the entire province of Asia would come to hear the gospel. He had to submit to God's process and timing for this to be done while moving forward with faith-filled plans in the light of his present revelation. So how do we summarize this? If we're going to both know God's will but also be submitted to it, our posture needs to be we advance with the gospel by faith. We advance day by day by faith, right? By faith, knowing his will and advancing by faith. And the result is increasing fruit and fruitfulness wherever the Lord wills. And we're not frustrated, disillusioned, disgruntled, if it looks different than we thought we, when we thought it would, it's all in his hands. Our charge is obedience. And if we could just obey, doing things his way, yes, that rhymes, okay? Obey, doing things his way, he says the fruitfulness comes. Because we say, if the Lord wills, I'll do this and that. Nothing more, nothing less, because it's to his glory. And that's why A.W. Tozer said it this way, I am thy servant to do thy will, and that will is sweeter to me than position or riches or fame, and I choose it above all things on earth or in heaven. Your will. I'm submitted to it. And God, I thank you for it. Amen? All right, worship team, come on.